Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson. Today we welcome to the podcast Dr. Ahmed Ersoy, a professor of history at Boğaziçi University here in Istanbul. Uh, Dr. Ersoy, we're, we're very pleased to have you on the podcast today. Pleased to be here. So the topic of our discussion today will be Dr. Ersoy's new project, which is about photography and illustrated journals in the late Ottoman Empire. Uh, this episode will be part of a new series that we have on the Ottoman History Podcast called The Visual Past, which is curated by Emily Neumeyer and Unver Rustem, in which we explore the visual, spatial, and material culture that shaped the Ottoman world. The series gives us a chance to look at Ottoman history through visual and material sources, um, as well as the texts that so often form the bulk of research on uh, Ottoman history. So we've had some episodes on the podcast already about the history of photography in the Ottoman Empire. It's one of the kind of most interesting topics, I think, that people are starting to really work on. So we're very excited to have you here today to talk about um, the kind of almost the vernacular circulation of these photographs, right? I mean, so I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the illustrated magazine as a genre in the history of photography in, in the Ottoman Empire. You know, when, when did these magazines arise? What kinds of photos are they publishing? How do they fit into the larger arc of the coming of photography to Ottoman lands? The um, text and image come together in the Ottoman press from the 1860s onwards, where you have journals like Musavver Medeniyet, Illustrated uh, Civilization, that use woodcut prints. Uh, rather than lithographies. This is an early kind of way of imprinting images next to texts. It was something very new uh, in the 1860s and 70s. And new everywhere, not just new, in the Ottoman exactly, Empire. Exactly, of course. Um, but then the heyday of, of the illustrated journals uh, in the Ottoman Empire starts with the late 80s and 1890s uh, during the Hamidian period due to the technological developments economic uh, factors, paper becomes cheaper, and there are new modes of photomechanical reproduction uh, of photographs like zincography that make it cheaper and more quality-wise, uh, actually much better images can be produced. And so you have an abundance, from, especially from the 1890s uh, onwards, you have an abundance of new journals that employ these new techniques of bringing together text and image. The problem, I think, here that I have encountered is that in terms of, especially in terms of uh, studies of Ottoman photography, if there is such a thing, uh, I don't think that that's not even a good kind of title, but in terms of studies on Ottoman photography, what you have is, so far, until very recently, is a very art history-oriented very connoisseurial kind of framework where you have a very historicizing vision of the history of Ottoman photography made up of these important individuals like the Abdullah brothers uh, or uh, Seba and Joye, who are authors, basically, producing these masterpieces, important photographs. And then the entire history of Ottoman photography is written through recourse to this art historical model of important photographers and their works. So and sort of formal analysis of the photographs and sort of how they're composed. And exactly. Okay. There's this very reconstructive urge to endow these photographs with finite meanings, departing from their formal characteristics. And this is also partly due to the fact that 
that photography is mainly logistically, I mean, it's, it's part of the collector's world. So what the collectors usually prefer are these photographs that are considered to be end products in durable format, like glass plate uh, negatives, carte de visite, cabinet cards or albums. Uh, and we look and access these images as if they are finalized end products, and then we analyze them, and we try to put them into their historical context. Uh, this I find to be very problematic, and the way why I'm uh, actually studying photographs within the illustrated journals is to see how photography is a very protean, very malleable, volatile uh, kind of medium that takes different shapes. And therefore, it is endowed with different meanings in different contexts. Right. So it's not that the kind of studio photograph, you know, study of the major collections mm -hmm. um, of the major, the, the auteurs, as you say, is, is necessarily wrong. It's no, just no, no, that no, no, it no. gives us a false impression that these end product photographs that are the, the kind of, not published, but, mm -hmm. you know, projected products mm -hmm. of these studios were the only way that photographs emerged or circulated in this moment. And so, of course, you know, when we look at a form like the journal, which, mm -hmm. as you say, you know, I mean, circulation numbers I know are difficult for the late Ottoman Empire, but we know that, you know, these things did circulate through many hands. They were read and seen by many people. Um, even single issues were passed around, for example. Um, this gives us a very different idea about what images were doing in sort of social and intellectual life. Mm -hmm. And so there's this spillage, if you want to call it that, a, a flow of photographs, especially with the 1890s onwards, and it becomes very much a very dominant part of Ottoman life. For Ottomans of different kinds, people from different walks of life, are exposed, heavily exposed to imagery. This, this is new. And photographic and imagery, which is, photographic um, imagery. you think, is different, kind of qualitatively different mm -hmm. from previous kinds of imagery that people have been exposed to. Exactly. And that was very limited and an elite kind of pursuit to, to be engaged with images. But now, you know, we're talking about the incipient, the beginnings of mass media, where you have a new media regime, which is heavily visually oriented. So what I'm trying to do is... I, I'm trying to understand how these images that, for instance, we encounter in the Hamidian albums, in the studio uh, kind of albums that are prepared by these prestigious photographers, infiltrate the press. And they come together in very intricate ways with different texts and other images so and can I create ask, new meanings. Are these, so when you say um, infiltrate the press, are the images that are being used in the press the ones that are produced in studios or Some that were them, yeah. um, commissioned and collected by the Sultan? Some of them, yes. Okay. I mean, uh, that's also a, a very problematic issue because, for instance, what we call the Hamidian collection, the albums. Only a portion of these photographs were commissioned by the Sultan. The Sultan himself, Abdul Hamid himself, like any other Ottoman subject, was collecting photographs that were circulating in the market okay, at, at, at this period. So when we're looking at the journals, we do have these official images, if you want to call them that, that are sometimes specifically imposed by the Sultan to be published uh, in these journals. But we also have different photographs by these studios as well as photographs by readers. And, of course, journalists themselves. Because 
the camera technology yeah. is becoming cheaper and mm -hmm. more portable. So suddenly, you know, you don't actually have to have an atelier to be able to produce a photograph. So maybe you could tell us what what kinds of images um, appear in the journals? I mean, is there kind of, are there tropes that reoccur? Well, one very dominant trope is urban images, especially of Istanbul. And the, uh, you know, each year in a journal like the Serveti Funun, the Wealth of Sciences, which was the most popular, uh, I think, journal at this time, each year the editor published this statement about their future goals. And, you know, one of the most important aspects that is emphasized in these uh, narratives is the role of imagery. And he's basically saying that we have to produce these images of the cities and of monuments and people and costumes, local costumes, so that uh, everybody around the empire has a sense of the heritage and the wealth and physical characteristics of the empire. They had this mission uh, of propagating this idea, this very fragmentary, collective, cumulative idea of empire made up of these fragments of images, whether it is an old traditional street from Bursa, a monument from Istanbul, a dilapidated caravansaray from Anatolia, or, you know, ladies dressed in traditional costume from the Rumelian province. So you gave us a sense that for the editor of the journal, there was a certain agenda to publishing mm -hmm. the photographs. It sounds like he's quite explicit about that. Um, what, how can we find out something about how, how readers might have experienced the images? I mean, given that part of your interest is in sort of seeing the circulation beyond the sort of formal spaces. I think uh, one important aspect of this new medium uh, of communication is that it creates a community. And there is a good deal of reader participation uh, that is encouraged by the editors as well. So the readers constantly send not only letters, uh, but also photographs, mostly snapshot photographs that they took themselves due to the you know, advancement of photography technology that you know, the camera becomes mobile. You can just take it around with you. So there are a lot of readers who send this new form of communication called letters with photographs. Like somebody from Van, the distant eastern city in the empire, sends photographs of monuments and people uh, alongside long narratives telling about you know, the beauties of Van and how he interprets these pictures. And in each journal, whether it is Sarveti Fudun or the others like uh, Maalumat or Marif, you have special sections called Our Pictures, where the editors are describing the images that are included in the journal. So that gives you a very good sense of not only how the state uses photography to impose its agenda of self-representation, but to see how these very images are being consumed and perceived uh, by different individuals and how readers are responding to that. So it's a very new, I think it's, it, it's closer to our more recent media regime, which is more based on participation. I was going to say, this sounds kind of like an Instagram of the Ottoman Empire, you know? Almost, <laughs> Send almost, us your pictures. Yes. Um, I think we're conditioned to think in that way, but right. I, I think there's a certain continuity and this is what media theorists or media archaeologists are talking mm. about. You, you, I mean, you, it's impossible to draw a linear historicizing line, 
but there are a lot of complementing aspects. Resonances. That, exactly. So I'm, I'm wondering, though, I mean, you mentioned the, the Hamidian albums, that the state, um, the sultan is collecting and in some mm -hmm. cases commissioning photographs. And, mm -hmm. you know, they had, a, they had an exhibition here at the RCAC in right. Istanbul last summer called Camera Ottomana that we actually have a podcast on mm -hmm. the subject of that exhibition, where... Uh, many of the photos that were on display from the Hamidian albums were actually photographs of, um, it, it almost looked like they were sort of surveillance photographs. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. they were taking photographs of men who were involved in the government or in the military, and it didn't really say why, but sort of, you know, your, your understanding was that this was sort of a surveilling mechanism. Yep. The question is, how did these kind of vernacular, mobile, participatory forms interact with mm -hmm. the fact that people must have also known that photography was being used yeah. towards very different purposes. I think we're talking about um, something that's part of a broader, new revolutionary uh, media regime, let's say, where not only the sultan, but each individual reader of these journals is in fragmentary fashion surveying the empire. So rather than thinking about this in a more state-oriented way, as you know, Abdul Hamid as the auteur who is surveying uh, his empire, of course he's doing that, uh, I'm not denying that, but the very same sense of surveillance and a totalizing sense of the empire was tried to be grasped uh, through these journals. And I think one of the interesting aspects that I encountered in these journals is that some of these very, very official-looking photographs find their way into the journals, and then you read comments about them you know, in our pictures section, and you realize that these pictures, these images, are interpreted, seen in very offhand, different alternative ways by the Ottoman readers which completely dissipates this very state-oriented, top-down you know, vision of the use of photography. Because it forces you to remember that the viewers w were never simply receiving whatever mm -hmm. meaning either you as a contemporary viewer might read into a photograph or, or that the publisher or the, the producer of the photograph might have wanted. Exactly, and you need to remember also that uh, Abdul Hamid himself was an avid collector of illustrated journals as well as photographs. So whatever was being produced by these people on the streets with their snapshots uh, also filtrates into what we call the Hamidian archive. And, and, and so there's this, I think it's not possible to draw a real line between the official Hamidian archive and what's circulating outside uh, in, in the market. And this is an insight that I think is of interest to Ottoman historians of many mm -hmm subdisciplines and fields because, you know, it helps us to remember that while we're often tempted to draw a strict line between the state and, yeah. and non-state actors because of, you know, for various reasons, um, oftentimes things are a little more complicated than this, right? So that we actually have to consider how texts and images, for example, are circulating. Mm -hmm. How they're um, interacting, texts and images, images and images. It's a very new kind of technology whereby you have this very dense intermixing of texts and images. And I think as historians, we're usually prone to, when we're using these journals, to look for some evidence. And you, you go to the archive, you find the right issue, you take whatever you want and you go away. What I'm trying to do in this new project is I'm trying to 
replicate the reading practices of the 1890s, where people were subscribers, and they were engaged in this form of serial reading, where you read you know, issue after issue, and you get a cumulative sense of how images and texts come together. Sometimes, some pages where you have this intermixture of images and texts makes no sense at all. But, you know, with the process of cumulative reading, you see that there is an article that refers back to five issues past, and people make associations. Absolutely. I mean, I find that I also, my research also mm -hmm. involves periodicals and or journals, and one of the the difficulty is as a contemporary researcher who doesn't receive an, you know, an issue every week and have then seven days to sort of understand it and look at it is that um, you're often tempted to move too quickly, as you say, and to kind of pull out pieces without realizing that the readers in, in its own time would have had a very different experience of the text, exactly. um, would have been exactly. reading likely much more slowly and over perhaps being read to, being shown the image by someone else, by mm -hmm. a brother or a father or a son or something. Anyway, so I think this is a, this is a really interesting idea. I kind of still want to ask you, though, you know, what I was getting at with this question about the Hamidian archive and the sort of surveillance role of the state was to try to ask if there was any pushback. I mean, were there people who were skeptical about photography, who found it unsettling, um, who didn't want to be photographed, mm. didn't want to uh, inhabit this new world of images? Well, we can start with the Sultan himself. Uh, I mean, he, he really didn't like to be photographed. That's what we know. The only photographs we have is from his princely years. Uh, he didn't want them circulating. I think he was very much aware of this subversive potential of these images as they spilled out in the press, were used in different ways, they, as they were intermixed with different texts. So he was very stingy in terms of the usage of his own image. But beyond that, I think, relatively speaking, um, we have a boom in photographic production in this period where you have individuals, photography enthusiasts, who are actually buying cameras and going around recording everything. And you see an evidence of this in the journals as well, where you have these series of technical manuals uh, that are published uh, about photography, or critical essays about photography, where you see the beginnings of a sense of a photographic community, although you know, we don't see the emergence of a separate journal on photography. Uh, nevertheless, the journals serve that purpose uh, as well. So I guess the way I could answer your question is beyond the Sultan, I don't see any kind of resistance to the usage of photography. It, seem, it seems to be across the board. The religious elites less so, maybe, but we do have evidences of the Sheikh al-Islam and especially some dervishes, especially the Mevlevis who are very fond of photography for some reason. And so you, you, you see these images circulating all around and I haven't seen any evidence of a kind of a resistance or critical uh, take on photography. So what were people saying or thinking about photography at the time from as far as you can tell? It's a difficult question. Many different things. I mean, I have a, another article in Turkish about Ahmet Rasim, and he uh, wrote this piece at the Serveti Funun in his younger years, and it's a piece that's about his impression, his reaction 
to a studio portrait photograph of himself. And there you see a very sort of complex engagement with this new medium of visual representation, which has this indexical value. It's not like painting. You have an indexical registration of reality. And in a very complex way, actually, Ahmed Rasim talks about how photography has this power of preserving life, the moment, the very passing moment being preserved. And he talks about how you can defy death and the passage of time, how you can go back to that very split second of a moment, Medusa reality, where everything is frozen and you can look at your face and reconsider your mindset at that very particular point. This is a very, I think, uh, sophisticated, very complex way uh, of thinking about photography. Absolutely, and mm -hmm. someone who's grappling with the uniqueness of the form, right? That it's not just that it is a representative form, that it, you know, like a drawing or a painting or even yeah. kind of a, a realist drawing, right? That it, there's a different kind of relationship that people have mm -hmm. with the photograph. It's something entirely new. That's why I think the art historical formats and modes of examination do not exactly fit photography because it's something totally revolutionary and it's very volatile. What I might want to emphasize here is to borrow a phrase from photography historian and political scientist Ariella Azule, who says that we need to study photography as something that is volatile, something that is performative, rather than the photograph. The photograph conforms to the art historical perspective of taking an end product and studying it via its formal characteristics. But photography is something different. It's very protean. It changes and, and shape. As, as you've described, it also was the conditions of production or the conditions of engaging in the taking and producing and circulating of photographs um, were not necessarily the same conditions that produced the production, you know, that produced other forms of visual art. Right. So I'm curious, I mean, were there people who were considering photography to be art in this mm. moment? Or really was it more about, um, you know, as you say, depicting different far off places, capturing moments mm. in life, capturing people's faces? I think they were um, aware of this debate in Europe at the time about whether photography is art or, or, or it's just the registration of, it's a technical kind of engagement. Uh, you see traces of this in the you know, photographic discussions. Uh, photography conversations, they're usually called fotograf musahibesi. Uh, and you know, people do talk about the artistic aspect of photography. There are numerous photography manuals that are published separately um, by Ottoman authors that take this into consideration, the artistic aspect. But I think photography is so diverse, and everybody was aware of this at this point, that you also see many articles on the scientific role of photography, the criminological role of photography. You see an abundance of police photographs infiltrating uh, in the journals. So this diversity and malleability of photography as a medium was very strongly, I think, present and perceived by the Ottomans as well as everybody else. And that's a great example of exactly what you're talking about, which is that photographs that were taken for criminological purposes mm -hmm. by the police were then circulated in yep. journals mm -hmm. and I'm sure encountered in many different ways by the readers of the journals and perhaps you know repurposed and so you know I can I think that kind of goes to your point about 
this being a malleable form mm -hmm. that is best studied in its circulation and its changeability rather than as a sort of a formal end product. Yeah, I think we need to uh, historicize the different media environments in which photographs are placed, in which they are endowed with different forms of meaning rather than seeing them as end products. I'm not saying that, you know, there is no artistic value. I'm not saying that art historical sort of categories of analysis cannot be used. Of course they can uh, be used, but I think I'm more in favor of a more diverse, layered analysis of studying photography as a constantly circulating, unending uh, product. So Dr. Ersoy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Thank uh, you. It was really great to have you. And I think that for me... This project is a way of thinking about something that I have been thinking about with a lot of our guests and in my own work as well, which is, you know, it seems to me that your work is speaking not only to Ottoman historians or historians of Ottoman art, but also to the kind of thinking about how to study photography in general. Um, and so I think that's really exciting and I, I'm happy to see more Ottomanists entering the theoretical and methodological debates that maybe are outside of our regional specificity or our discipline. Um, this to me seems like a really important move. So uh, it was really, really interesting to talk with you about the new project today. And for those who want to find out more, there is an article forthcoming uh, by Dr. Ersoy in the Journal of the History of Photography called Ottomans and the Kodak Galaxy, which is a great title. Um, we will post a, bibli a bibliography uh, and some images to accompany this episode on our website, www.ottomanhistorypodcast.com where we also invite you to leave comments and questions. You should also feel free, as always, to join us on Facebook, where we stay in touch with our community of over 20,000 listeners, post news about upcoming series and episodes, including others in this series on the visual past. That's all for this episode. So until next time, take care. Yeah.